Hello and welcome to this week's French Football Weekly podcast. And as Meatloaf once said, two out of three ain't bad, because that's how many of us are here, in terms of guests anyway, because I don't count as the host. Uh, I've got Phil and I've got Jez with me this evening. Good evening to you both. Hello. Hello. Uh, no Rich this week because uh, he's, he's literally buried underneath work files. So I uh, hope that gets sorted out soon, Rich. Um, if you hear, if you keep tapping, somebody will hear you eventually. Um, right. Uh, probably a slightly shorter show than usual this week because we've um, kind of really just got two games to focus on, um, as well as a little bit of the women's action and a preview of next weekend's Liga and Coupe de France final. So we will start with the national team. Um, two fairly comprehensive results, uh, a 4-1 and a 4-0 away at Moldova and home to Iceland, respectively. Uh, Jez, we'll start with the first one obviously, because that would be logical. Uh, 4-1 win for the French national team away in Moldova. Uh, Griezmann, Varane, Giroud and Mbappe with the goals there before late Ambrose consolation, if you can call it that. What was your sort of overall thoughts? Fairly straightforward and I guess given what they needed to do, they did it pretty smoothly. Uh, yeah, I was, I was mostly impressed. Um, I think that France aren't always the greatest recently at qualifying tournaments. They're certainly not always the greatest off the back of an impressive tournament. And they're not always that impressive away from home in kind of central to Eastern Europe. So it had all the makings of a potential banana skin and they dealt with it, I thought, fantastically well. Um, both, both matches, the the attack certainly seemed to be purring. There's kind of a nice symmetry to it, but in both of them, it was the three strikers who scored plus one centre-back. Um, and, yeah, I think it was obviously a bit of a, a bit annoying to, to not, not finish it with two clean sheets, but um, generally as, as good as you could have hoped for as for, the, for the start of a qualifying tournament. And I think the particularly good thing about it, and, again, it's sort of maybe slightly shades of, 98 to 2000, off the back of a World Cup that was won through mostly defensive counter-attacking play, the, the team looks ready. I know everyone, certain people for a long time have been saying that with the players they've got, this is what the team should have been doing for a long time now, but the team now looks ready to kind of break free from the shackles a little bit and, and kind of really open up and, and play more attacking football. And, uh, Obviously, as France fans, the main main thing I think is is that you want to win. But if you can win playing really good, entertaining football, then then that's all the better. And certainly, obviously, you can't take too much away from from the opposition that France face. Um, there will be sterner tests, but um, this is a sort of a really positive start to the kind of the next stage following the World Cup. And I think to an extent you can sort of discount the first six months, rightly or wrongly. I think there's, there's and Deshaun spoke about it a lot in the lead up to the matches. There's often a, a sort of drop off in motivation. I think for a lot of play, players of, of any kind you play after a, a major tournament, but certainly after having won it, um, having had a, a shorter summer break, there's players who are sort of being rushed back without having a chance to, to recover physically or maybe recover from injuries. 
Um, again, like I said, it's not just France. Superstitch gave an interesting interview about that this week as well. Um, and then also, obviously, post post the win, maybe there's there's a little bit of a drop off um, in terms of even if it's you know, things that shouldn't affect football, like the the kind of commercial deals that inevitably come after after um, sort of increasing your profile over the summer. Um, or simply the fact that you know you've achieved, you've got to the pinnacle of the game, and maybe it's a little bit hard to to sort of really zone in again on your profession. Um, I think maybe six months or so is a reasonable time to to let all of that pass. Got obviously Norris with a couple of um, off the pitch stuff that we don't need to go into, but maybe that's all kind of indicative of the same thing. But you know now six months or nine months on. It's really time for, for the players to knuckle down, and I think we've seen that in their club football. I think a lot of them have been looking a lot better the last two or three months, and, and it's great to see it in the, in the international setup as well. Yeah, it's that mm. sort of a going again thing, isn't it? What did you What did you make of it? Filming at four four two three one, the usual system. Um, we, we've basically saw France kind of set up shop from the off. They, they started well. Return for Leyman Kazawa at left back as well. Pretty much everything that, that could go well in that game did seem to go well. Yeah, and I think also watching the Moldova game, uh, their goalkeeper Alexei Kozlov actually put did some put some good stops in, some good saves. It could have been a lot worse if he hadn't had a good game. So if you still win four one in that situation, that's pretty good. And obviously, as you said, the Ambrose uh, consolation was the 89th minute when everybody was you know, 4 nil up and possibly feeling a little bit, hey, giddy. Um, so I think it was interesting, but also the fact that I think the same starting 11 was picked both times, uh, which makes you, made me just wonder a little bit, was it not, you know, time to change it up a little bit? But there are issues we know at left back with the Mendes being out and, and certain other people being injured. Um, but just the fact that it was the same starting eleven both times made me wonder if you know we might have used these matches to be a little bit more creative. But as you say, you've got the attack firing well. You've got uh, a central defender scoring both times. That's pretty much how you want it to be. So I think it was... Um, Obviously, very positive start to the qualifying campaign, given that they don't have anything from the uh, nations, what's it, uh, to, to bank on. Yeah. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens when they come up against, is it Turkey next? I think it is. Who I think have won, won both of their openers as well. It is so, Turkey, yeah. Yeah, they're going to be, you know, the instance, the, the tricky team, there but as Jess said you know they um, navigated uh, a tricky away trip to to Moldova Um, Iceland obviously have got all the neutrals on their side so they got both of those out of the way in comprehensive fashion it was really very reassuring and they do look like they're still having fun which is great I mean the um uh, the first goal against Moldova, which Griezmann scored from, I think you could call it a poglob. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Lovely kind of floated thing over the top that Pogba did. You know, it's just, that's guys uh, enjoying 
where they are not feeling tension and playing at their at their best and i think that's that's reassuring to see it also yeah that goal in particular was was the standout of the night there was a terrific piece of skill and, and finishing um and on the the second game jez will come on to that one as well uh, obviously the, the 4-1 victory over iceland um it's important that, that france did get this win given what they had they had trouble with iceland obviously in in the summer um or just after the summer, I should say. Uh, or was it just before? I lose track of time. Anyway, last time they played Iceland, it was just after, you're right. They um, sort of laboured in that fixture. There was no doubts in this this particular game, uh, complete with a, a, a 100th anniversary new kit as well, which I was rather fond of, um, which will make a few yeah. quid, I, I don't doubt. But uh, yeah, Samuel and Titi and that celebration, um, and then Giroud, Mbappe I, and Griezmann I again. Just on, on the Titi celebration, I loved seeing Griezmann behind him trying to do the same celebration, Didn't but just not, ha- not having the swish. He no. doesn't have the swish that, uh, that Mtiti has. No. It was, it was very, very fun. It didn't quite work, but uh, but the, the the team did perform, um, and obviously two wins out of two, you can't go wrong. But was the nature of that win impressive for you, Jez, in terms of how they took the game to to the to the uh, the away side? Yeah, again, I think it was. I mean, everything sort of worked in France's favour. That Iceland are not the Iceland of two or three years ago, and uh, I think France were a little bit like your your Arsenal that. They're always, and this is even going back to the sort of great Arsenal of 10 years or so ago. I think an early goal always settles them and enables them to, to really relax and, and start to play some really good stuff. Whereas when they go without a goal, I think they start getting very nervy. So Titi's early goal was, was ideal for them, um, even though it, I think it took until the second half to, to add to it, they, they still were pretty comfortable in the first half and then even went up again in the second. And on the MTT goal, it's quite a nice sort of symmetry that Varane got his, I think, third France goal in the, in the World Cup course final. And then TT got his third the following match. And then Varane got his fourth the other day in MTT <laughs> the following match. Um, but yeah, I think the Iceland match was, was even a, a step above from, from the Moldova match in theory against a tougher team. But then also France were at home, so you'd expect them to... To, to be relatively comfortable, but again, all, all, all you can do is beat what's in front of you, and in this case, do it very, very well. And um, they pretty much, it's hard to find fault with the whole team. Even Loris, who had very little to do, made the couple of saves he had to do. Pavar was, was fantastic, and you know, probably the probably mm. the best match for France certainly since the World Cup. And it's definitely it's worth looking out for his two sort of Argentina-style shots, one which went miles over and the other one really narrowly missed. But yeah. as the ball comes to him, you can hear the whole crowd rising yeah. volume. Do, it again. Do, it, again. Do yeah. it again. Do it again. Do it again. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, just throughout the team and Varane and Titi look very comfortable. And I think it's important from Titi that, that he had two matches in a row and pretty much asked Deschamps to, to give him a chance to prove that he can sort of um, you know, play one match after the other again, probably with an eye on his club, club form, club future as well. He said that he took a big risk even going to the World Cup because he really needs, needs time to rest. But 
obviously was vindicated in the summer and, and yeah, it was good to see him back to full form. And yeah, the whole team, Pogba was carried on where he left off at the World Cup or, or the way he's been playing recently for Man United, just mostly now keeping it simple, but still sort of just a class above most of the others on the pitch. Um, this time it was Mbappe's, I thought, against Moldova, I thought Griezmann was the best player. Mbappe, I mean, certainly stats-wise, to assist in a goal maybe stood out this time, but for me, I put it on Twitter and, and not, not everyone just, not everyone agrees, but um, Lizarazu as well said that, you know, that there's so much fuss about Mbappe that Griezmann, if anything, is underrated. And to me, he is the class, he and Pogba are the class players in the team. I think he controls everything about that team. The tempo, whether they're defensive or offensive, the way he can play basically from a 9 to a 10 to an 8, I just think he's absolutely fantastic and makes the team tick. And then Giroud again, he, he, you know, for, we have this debate every France gets together because he, he gets so much unfair stick. But I still think that him playing as that sort of pivot that players like Mbappe and Griezmann can, who, to be fair, are. I don't know if they're more intelligent players, but let's say more mobile and more able players. Uh, they, no, they, I, yeah. They, I, can, they can Olive, use, Olive is smart. Olive knows his limitations, and I think we we saw that even back at, um, in 2012 in the uh, title-winning season. He knows when he can't do what people are expecting him to do, and that's how you know uh, Montpellier beat Lille um, in the penultimate game of the season and set up the title because he fooled people into thinking he was going to try to be the main man, and he knew his limitations. I think that during during the week during the week there's been Giroud now with, with his two goals in two games has gone he went level with Trezeguet and now has gone ahead of Trezeguet's mm. third in the all time top scorers and there's been a, another one of these stupid phony debates about you know it's, it's like saying well best life are better than I don't know. Uh, can't think of anyone but you know they're the best band ever because they've got the most record sales kind of thing. It's, it's a stupid debate. I'm not even sure necessarily that Giroud would say that he's a better player than Trezeguet. But, you know, he's had he's had the chance to... He's been given the chances. He's got more caps as well. He didn't have a coach. The difference was that he didn't have a coach who picked players based on their horoscope. He's, he picked, he's got a coach who's at times pragmatic, but also knows who he can rely on, both in terms of personality and on the pitch. Giroud's been given the chance. He didn't play for any of France's youth teams. He got his debut was when he was 25. He scored more goals for France since turning 30 than any other player. And you've got to hand it to him. Limits or not, number of goals he scored for friendlies or not, mm. he does the business and he allows other people to as well. Yeah, he is very realistic about his own ability and what he can bring to the team. Mm. Um, I think, again going back to the, the championship winning season 2012, you got 21 goals. He also got nine assists when he was the main striker who played every game, which included very important contributions against PSG and various other games like that. So I love the fact that he scored in both of them. Uh, what I thought was interesting also was um, against Iceland, Mbappe was, I think, technically playing on the right, but when he popped up to put in one of the assists he was on the left he was just playing wherever 
seem to be the most productive place to play. And, you know, if you've got a team that can move around like that, that can react to a situation like that, that also bodes very well that he was everywhere. I think in that in that um, second game, particularly Mbappe, and that was great to see. Yeah, yeah, and and just to touch on Olivier Giroud as a as a person who um, thoroughly appreciate him, appreciated him at Arsenal. I think he, um, I think it's only now that people look back and go, actually, he was made a bigger contribution than some gave him credit for. And <laughs> and when you've got someone of Eden Hazard's level and ability saying that he'd rather play with him. I think that sort of speaks volumes. So, uh, yeah, he's still got a part to play. I think I think everyone accepts that he has his limitations, but like you say, he knows what they are. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it, I think overall the, the first the first two games couldn't really have asked for too much. Um, does sort of make me chuckle the the levels of in ter- the way things are reported. Um, if if you look at based sort of here in England, England won two games against lesser opposition by five goals, and apparently they're going to win the, World, the next World Cup. France win two games, similar levels, and it's like, well, yeah, we expect that. So I think you can only really beat what's in front of you and, uh, and move forwards. Like you say, the Turkey game away next will be a test, but even that, you know, you'd expect France to come through this group fairly comfortably. I think uh, that away game in Turkey would be, would be good fun, though. Mm, intimidating providing everything is in well intimidating but in good spirits if mm. you see what I mean you know yeah. we saw we, we've heard some uh, terrible stuff about Montenegro and, and the England game and, and what the England players had to put up with the black England players had to put up with mm. we don't want any of that obviously the kind of thing that all the English best are horrified about according to fans but when it happens Uh, But basically, so um, if we can have a a cauldron atmosphere, but a kind of intersectional cauldron, that would be fantastic, I think. Safe safe cauldron, yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. well, there we go. I mean, as I say, we, we can only really say what's, what, what there is to be said, as it were, in terms of the games that are played. So two, uh, two good performances, two good wins. Um, there was, I do, uh, just very quickly, I, do, I yeah, did mention it before, but just to give props to Levin Kassala. I mean, he was there basically yeah. the um, both Mendy's out and Nando's out, and then Dean probably would have started at least one of the matches, but he got injured as well. So he was the only left back able to play and he did again wasn't necessarily the most pushed he's ever going to be by an opposition attack, but still played extremely well, added to the attack as well. Playing more maturely than than we have seen him sometimes in the past, and and, you know that that gives Deschon a food for thought because in theory he's the fifth choice left back, but. Um, let's just say, if only we had as many right backs as we had left backs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that would would definitely help. And yeah, I think fair play to the guy. I mean, he, you know, he has he has kind of uh, come back from out of nowhere, seemingly. But well, so. yeah, after uh, it's, you know the whole under twenty one thing, where he made a prick of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been given a chance which was unexpected and just taken it and not been a prick about that and that's 
good. That is, as Jess said, a sign of maturity. And, you know, it will be interesting because there are a lot of left-back options if they're all fit. But if they aren't all fit, then, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I say it's good to see players coming back to form at, at the right times as well and getting back in into the positions where they can fight for the national team share. Obviously, the more competition you've got, the better the performances you get from people who come in, in theory. Um, okay, so uh, we, we have um, another bit of news that we'll talk about in a second with regards to the French national team. But uh, just before we do, um, there's been there's some... Um, Women's Champions League action ongoing at the moment, Phil, that you wanted to touch on as well? Yeah, just the the quarterfinals. So we had the first legs last week and Lyon won 2-1 against Wolfsburg in Lyon. So that uh, goals from Eugenie uh, Le Sommer and Wendy Renard uh, open scoring for Lyon and then Wolfsburg got one back to Nilla Fischer, which made it a little bit tense that Obviously, Wolfsburg are a good team. They've played each other five times, which have involved Champions League finals. Getting that away goal made you a bit nervous. Um, but they played earlier uh, the away leg, and Lyon won 4-2. Uh, so that's 6-3 on aggregate for them. They're through to the semifinals. They started the game brilliantly after that kind of Nilla Fischer-inspired uh, wobble uh, with Jennifer Marjan scoring inside 10 minutes. Then Renard got a penalty um, after Ada Hegerberg was just like wiped out by Schultz in a very poor piece of goalkeeping. Um, then it looked like there was a fight back from Wolfsburg, who are obviously a very good team. And they scored uh, just after half time through Pernal Hard and he got two goals in three minutes and you're thinking oh crap what you know is this going to be some kind of Manchester United remontada situation but oh well kept their heads uh, and Le Sommer got a brace in a couple of minutes late on with both crosses coming from the right side one from Amandine Henry who was uh, great throughout and one from Delphine Cascarina who came on as a late sub um, so it ended up 6-3 on aggregate. They're through to the uh, semi-finals, so looking good for another uh, another um, Champions League game. And then we also had uh, Chelsea won two nil against PSG last week in a game which also saw uh, a PSG fan bus stopped apparently with drugs, knives, and pyrotechnics on board which um, uh, the PSG uh, official account came out supporting their fans, which some people were slightly weirded out about because apparently this fan group had been banned from the men's teams and the youth teams, but not the women's teams. But I was just thinking a lot of the, the ultra groups were banned, but have now been let back in to the Parc des Princes. So it seems to me that they might have been caught up in that general ban, which has now been lifted. So it's not like a current ban on them seeing the men's and the youth team. Haven't been able to get any confirmation on that. But there have been some big problems at Charlotte in the past, in 2012 when they played against OL, in 2015 when they played against Wolfsburg, in fact, in the Champions League, that the police basically were trying to, stop hundreds of people getting into the stadium 
Um, so PSG lost the first game 2-0 and are currently, at time of recording, 2-0 up in the home leg with goals from uh, Diani and an own goal. And it looks like that might be heading to extra time. So we could have, again, two French teams in semi-finals. But the Lyon game was wonderful fun. Um, Chelsea have just scored in Manchester. Oh, oh. We jumped that, didn't we? Damn it. I'm I'm looking at the I'm looking at Lequeep. There we go. Kurt, Frank Kirby in the ninety first minute looks to have sealed it for Chelsea. But um the Leon game was great fun because obviously Wolfsburg are brilliant um and have been in the later stages of this competition in many seasons in the past. But Leon just kind of shut down, looked brutal on the counter attack and just the the skill and speed is really worth watching. So with, I think Barca got the first leg 3-0 against LSK, so you'd expect them to go through. But Bayern stuttered away at Slavia Prague, uh, drawing 1-1. So I think tomorrow we'll wait and see who comes out of that on top. But this looks like, again, it might be Leon's year. Yeah, fair to say they're in a good good spot for it to be, and women's football in general seems to be on the rise um, mm. across all countries. Well, I say all countries, the major nations taking it a lot more seriously all of a sudden. So that can only be a good thing. Um, Come over for the World Cup in June; it will be brilliant. Yes, yeah, I was going to say that is this year. <laughs> so, the the other thing I just wanted to touch upon before we uh, have a look at the weekend's league on action and indeed the Coupe de France final. Um, just the league. Sorry, Coupe de la Ligue. I keep saying it's because I'm looking at the words Coupe de France on my bloody screen. Sorry. Um, Jez, there was some transfer news, interestingly, today. Um, it seems Bayern are going French. Um, they've already secured the signature of Benjamin Pavard in the summer. They've now moved to Ada Hernandez to that uh, that bracket. Um, for anyone that hasn't seen this, it's the Atletico left-back, Luca Hernandez, uh, in the region of €80 million Euros and €65 million Euros in wages over five years. That's according to Matt Spiro. Um, what do you reckon, Jess? Because a lot of people are saying that this is um, ridiculously overpriced. But I would argue for a, a player who can play two positions and at the age he is, it seems to me just kind of the going rate. Is, is, that, is that fair or, or do you think this is a little bit overpriced? Um, it, it seems a hell of a lot. Um, but I mean, Bayern have been poor Champions League-wise, I guess, for, for a couple of years. and. That's obviously the, the sort of benchmark by which they need to be judged as a sort of European super club. And I think it's quite clear that they need a big overhaul. And I think that's, that's definitely something that's going to happen. And, and as you said, uh, French players could well play a big part of that. Um, and Hernandez proved himself in the, in the World Cup to, as well as having a lot of talent, both as a defender and an, and an attacking defender. Um, as you said, he's versatile as well. Can play left back and centre back. Um, can play in the back four or back five. Um, and he's also, but he's also got that real sort of uh, the, the word that was used for him was, was 
um, especially in the sort of context of the year of my match was, was winter. Like, you know, he won't be marked around, strong character. And I, I think that he's, I can understand why Bayern see him as, as a, a perfect player to come in. Um, it still sounds like a lot of money to me. I think he's second um, mm-hmm. of most expensive defenders ever. He's second only to Virgil van Dijk, who of course apparently is the Messiah and the greatest defender in the history of the Premier League. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, so I'm surprised at the amount that's being spent. But if you if you you've got the money and, and he's a player that you that a club has marked out as being the one they absolutely want, then I guess do what you need to do to, to bring him in. But um, I certainly don't think he's going to be overruled by the by the by the figure or anything like that. I don't think it will affect him. Um, it's a bit of a sort of eyebrow raiser, but overall I think it's a very good move for the Bayern and the player and Atletico look like they're going to need to have a big overhaul as well and obviously one of the interesting sort of follow-on questions is by all accounts Hernandez is very close to, to Griezmann mm. um, you know, could that could that be another step towards maybe Griezmann moving in the summer as well yeah and you wonder if uh, potentially someone like David Alaba might be a make-weight in any move in that regard as well because He's, they're not both going to play surely in that position and Alaba's been there for a little while so it makes you wonder if he might move on um, in the summer as well it's, it's certainly it seems to be more and more clubs are getting business done earlier is something else that, um, hmm. uh, that seems to be happening at the moment so could well see a few more move um, but yeah quite, quite a big move though Phil would you say I mean it, it's got a fair amount of press in front I, I just get confused by you know we were used to the transfer window being this, and now everything seems to be getting sorted out before the transfer window opens. I mean, at least that means, you know, you get more time to send your facts or something, but it just seems a bit odd to be, to a certain extent, destabilizing players and teams and fan bases. Mm. Early. Tapping, tapping up yeah. as well. Surely well, there Yeah, I mean... Obviously, that that, that would be um, contrary to the rules. So, obviously, it doesn't happen. No. Um, But just the whole whole thing seems a bit weird to be talking about people moving in March when, you know, the window doesn't open for another couple of months. And I don't know. I know what you mean. It does sort of sit oddly. The value becomes almost irrelevant at this point. Mm. Um, it gives players more time to film their documentaries. <laughs> I haven't watched it, it just, yet. I need just, to. Uh, you know, it, it, the the value of players being moved moves up so fast. I mean, we're on a massive bell curve from whatever's gone in the past, and it kind of. We always say that you know you don't believe it until you see the player wearing the shirt, and then we all saw from um, what was his face at Lille. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. So now, until they set foot on the field in that shirt, I I don't pay much attention. It's just too draining to try to keep up with everything that's going on. So yeah, you know, yeah, I'm sure. Sure, it won't be the uh, it won't be the end of the moves this it summer. Could, could be that 
everyone's getting all their transfer business out of the way so that we can all focus fully on, on the has, Women's World Cup. Hazards around Madrid for the whole summer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can hardly wait. It's the Women's World Cup. We, we all want to sit back and watch that with no complications. Yeah, with, without any distractions. Although, as much as we... Um, as much as we, we hope that will happen, it never seems to. There always seems to be something that captures our interest in the summer. But, yeah, we shall see. Um, I'm waiting for Arsenal to buy Samuel and Titi. I laughed at that one today. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious me. Seriously? Anyway, That's uh, seriously a rumour? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, it was, I think it was written in crayon in the sun. Um, uh, but I was in Mundo Deportivo, I don't know how. Oh well, it's Actually, definitely true. Yeah. No, well, I I was, was watching. Obviously, I was watching the OL game earlier, and at half time they had a little spot on uh, Kira Hamway, who's gone to um, Barcelona, um, and they had a little interview with Sam Titi, who said that he'd been kind of showing her around and <laughs> uh, and helping her settle in. I was like, oh, that's so sweet. I think I think the main reason he's being linked to other clubs at the moment is because Barcelona don't seem to value him as highly as as other clubs. But there's no mm-hmm. way that, that our club be paying the sort of eighty million man. <laughs> so I don't think that's likely to happen. Um, anyway, that's transfers. That's for a rainy day. Um, before we look at the league action, we should preview the Coupe de la League final on Saturday, um, which sees I. I I can't, I'm torn. I can't decide whether this is going to be a really entertaining final or whether it's going to be... <laughs> Absolutely terrible. Yeah, I'm I, I, I genuinely torn because you, you look at the, the state of both clubs and you think, mm, okay, Strasbourg, Gangon. Um, Strasbourg, you never quite know what you're going to get. Gangon, obviously, bottom end of the, the team and uh, bottom end of the, the league uh, and has struggled all season and are never pronounced correctly in England. I just don't know. I, I'm really, really torn. Um, what What do we both think? I mean, are we all sort of on on board the fact that we're going to watch it? Or oh yeah, it... hell, hell, hell yes, I'm going to watch it. Arsenal's going to watch I'm... it as well. He's the guest of honour, apparently. I'm That's cannot... assuming it goes ahead. Well, there is um, that. Yeah. If... Apparently, there's. Um, I think it's going to be fine, but apparently the the authorities are very worried about the state of the little pitch. Yeah. So that that's a, a big step up from the town centre might be on fire, which is what's been mostly postponing games recently. Yeah. Anyway. Uh no, I think I think it's tricky to call because Strasbourg are the better team, the higher in the table, but they are a little bit flaky. And Gangon are basically doomed, but do now seem to have some fight in them. And we saw a couple of years ago they uh, got into the Europa League and actually cared. And it was one of the most fun seasons I had watching the Europa League because they were genuinely going for it. So I think um, this could be very... I haven't checked the odds, but I think this could be very interesting because I think they both care and they will both try and I'm not sure either side will go out defensively. I think they'll hopefully both go out to win. And yeah, Gangam are pretty much screwed in the league. Uh, but they're not at all. But 
that's 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 the thing, isn't it? Because they're third from bottom. Yeah, I I I still think yeah in in league at the moment they're they're. How much is it up to fourth from bottom? But they're not. But they've still got that playoff place. Yeah. That's okay. that's what they've got to be aiming for, isn't it? Yeah, I think, like we said last week, I think that the, the teams at the bottom are slightly cut adrift in terms of the bottom three, but it's a bun fight for that that third place or that and, third. And I place. just checked, and they're playing Montpellier. There uh, you go. Away on Wednesday, which could give them at least a draw. So yeah. Yeah, who knows? But no, I think this could be a very interesting game. Hopefully. If you say it could be terrible, but I think both of them are going to go for it because both of them are going to want to win a cup. I quite like the fact it's two unfashionable clubs as well. Yeah. I, mean, I, I quite like that. You know, it's like when you get sort of FA Cup finals in the UK or, you know, when you've got like the same old clubs, you know, Celtic, Aberdeen, Rangers in Scotland or Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea. It would be quite nice to see two two sides that are not expected to be in it and and i think people from the outside it, it might get a little bit more of an audience given the fact that it, people will look at go oh, psg are not in the final then you know it maybe mm. it might be something different for the for the audience i part part of me would like to see strasbourg win it just because i think it would be uh, it'd be good for them and a club with you know such a tradition i think i think it would be nice um but at the same time would it? You wouldn't put it past Gangomp to win it and get relegated, would you? It's, it's yeah. quite bizarre. Which um, would at least give the fans something to be cheerful about. Yeah. What, what do you think, Jez? What, what's what's your thoughts on it ahead of the game? I think it's a tough one to call because form-wise, you'd say that that Gangomp are actually in much better form. Mm-hmm. They they've they've only lost one of their last five, and they've only conceded one goal during that time. Whereas Strasbourg, who Definitely are the better team, and a couple of months ago were, were a country mile ahead of them. They actually haven't won a match since the semi final at the end of January. Um, I think a lot of that can be put down to the fact that they were in the final and they're kind of putting all their eggs in that basket um, and you know, possibly slightly taking their foot off the gas, concern about injuries, that kind of thing. But it's a very dangerous game to play because it's not easy to sort of turn your form back around just at the sort of flick of a switch. Um, so, um, yeah, although looking at the league table as it is right now and, and the way the two teams have been playing overall throughout the season, you definitely put Strasbourg ahead. But Gagon looked like they're building up a little bit ahead of steam. The only other thing that's gone against Gagon though is that Coco is suspended and Lucas Dorr is probably going to be out injured and I think they're both two two big blows sort of one of their main kind of mm. uh, midfield defensive shields and one of their, their main playmakers that could affect them a lot but yeah I, I, I think it should be a, a close match and, and hopefully a good one I think um, Strasbourg certainly at times this year played really exciting football Gagar perhaps less so but under Gurbanek they're, they're always going to um, I don't know, they're always, they're always going to sort of put, put in 100% effort and, and he encourages where possible decent, decent play and they've certainly got a few players who are capable of, of doing that. So, um, And obviously it's also, a, as, as cliched and horrible as it is, it's, it's a big shot window for the likes of Lala, who, who mm. people are talking about a lot, who another one who's close to the, close to the France squad, 
you know, put, if he puts in a good performance in a big match like this, it could add a, add a few zeros or certainly a few euros to, to his price. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that was the thought I had to, like you say, it is that, that proverbial shop window and the chance for, for two quote unquote unfashionable clubs to get the opportunity to showcase their, their skill and, and, and talent and potentially take over a trophy, of course. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it will be one that will be, obviously we'll all, we'll all watch it naturally. Uh, well, I say that, I assume I can watch it in the UK. I hope so. Um, but, uh, sure BT will sort me out for my exorbitant fee per month. But, um, yeah, I think it will be one that we will naturally look back on uh, next week's show. And For Gagnon, there's also a nice little bit of symmetry because I think their last two cup wins were in 2009 and 2014. So yeah. <laughs> five years <laughs> on, they're due, they're due the next one. 2014, yeah. is it really that long ago? Christ, it doesn't seem like that long. Yeah, wow. that was the f- fun times in the Europa League. Yeah. It was it great. Just Away at Dynamo great. Kiev, it was five years great fun. Absolutely Utter not. chaos. Absolutely mental. Um, we will also have some league art action to look back on next week as well. So we will just have a quick <clears> look at the the games that we've got coming up this weekend. Um, I think Ren Leon, the Friday night game, immediately sort of jumps off the page at me. Um, we've also got Marseille Angers, which is the sole Saturday fixture, and then on Sunday you've got the full program given the uh, the, the Coupe de la Ligue final on the Saturday. So you've got Omi and Bordeaux. Dijon Nice, which he did as a must win for the home side. Monaco Car, same could be said of the away side there, but I don't give him too much hope. Saint Etienne, Nîmes, Nantes, Lille, and Toulouse PSG rounds off the fixtures on the Sunday. I think Saint Etienne, Nîmes been moved to the Monday for unspecified reasons, presumably uh, relating to Gilles Fair enough. So that one's uh, one to, to wait for the uh, end of the weekend for then. Any of the other fixtures jump out at, at you guys? I mean, I say the, the Red Leon game just mm. has the sort of look of a bit of a fun fixture. I don't, it may not be, of course, but uh, it's the one that I probably one keep. One of the, in a sense, because the um, cup finals on Saturday, the the other, the, those teams are playing on the Wednesday. So we've mm. got Strasbourg, Rance and Montpellier and on Wednesday. And Strasbourg Rance might be quite interesting because Rance are sixth, Strasbourg are tenth, but at home, but would have just come off the back of a cup game. So I think that might be quite a, a fun game to watch if you're after some midweek football um, on on the Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a fair shout. Is, is there any games you're looking at in particular, Jez, that maybe towards the bottom more than anything else? Um. Dijon Nice, sorry, caught my attention because I've got a feeling. Wasn't that? Didn't Dijon win that 4 0 at least? <laughs> that might be crazy wrong, enough to be true. I might be wrong, but I think that was the, the result earlier in the season. Well, um, we don't score very much, so Dijon. They don't score very much, yeah. and they don't concede very much, except they've conceded four three times this season, which is really bizarre. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, if if you look at that as any kind of sign that in some way Dijon have got the beating of, of Nice, then this is a big match for Dijon because they're they're well basically they're running out of chances. They're in horrific form and and they need to turn things around sometime. Um, but yeah, the, the form that their strikers in and the, the general form that, that Nice have been in defensively this season, you wouldn't necessarily um, want to 
bet in Dijon's favour, but but this might be the kind of match that, based on that first fixture, they, they could see as as one where they they, they need to be really going all out, all out for the win. But yeah, apart from that, I think when when one is by far the standout fixture. Um, yeah. And uh, the the weird sort of subplot to that is that they play each other on the Friday, and then they also play each other in the Coupe de France semi-final on Tuesday. Yeah. And absolutely mentally, in my opinion, um, Lyon have announced that Olas is going to make his decision about whether or not to keep Genesio in between those two things. What the hell is that about? Does it really surprise us, though? I mean, really? (laughs) Yes. Yes, that surprises me. Olas is is an organised man. What the hell does he think he's doing? He's an organised man, but with a, a penchant for the uh, slightly unorthodox at the most bizarre times. Yeah, this isn't unorthodox. That's shooting team in the foot mm. repeatedly. I mean, why? Why? I, th- I think I, I think I'd be that? fairly comfortable putting a bet on to say that Genesio won't be there next year. I, yeah. I just well, I, I mean, I, if I was anti-Genesio, I would see this as a bad sign because I you just thought that. Olas knows this is a ridiculous thing to do, unless he's sort of just going to say, unless he's going to keep him on, in which case it doesn't disrupt things much. If he's going to get rid of him, then it's an absolutely crazy time to do it before yeah. arguably Lyon's most important match of the season. Mm. Exactly. Is it just just on the a, 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 two subplots, actually. You are spot on, uh, Jez, by the way. Dijon did win 4-0 back in uh, August. They scored three goals in the last seven minutes, that one. Uh, <laughs> so it's a good knowledge. Um, just while we're on the subject, there's, there's been a lot, of, um, a lot of hot air from Jose Mourinho, which is not unusual uh, because that's pretty much all he does. But um, there's, there's been quite a lot about him and, and his, his agent, Jorge Mendes. Um, talk of a link to Monaco, Jez? I mean, is it... <laughs> find it a bit bizarre, but could there be something in the background working where maybe Leon might have a, a little sniff around Jardim, for example, if they moved on Genesi? Is, is there anything in that, or is this just Mourinho's PR spin as usual? Yeah, but I think that the links have been slightly stronger with Leon than with Monaco, which might just be that Mendes um, represents Mourinho. It also happens to represent Jardim and, and seemingly half of the Monaco squad. So maybe he doesn't want to sort of step on his own client's shoes. But um, uh, I mean, I put a tweet about it last night, I think, saying how I think it's a sign of how massively Mourinho's stock has fallen, that it's now him and his agent sort of touting him out to, to mm-hmm. clubs rather than clubs chasing after him. And again, you know, I am one of his biggest haters and I can't and it, <laughs> even I can't deny that his, his record in general has been excellent of course it has but first of all he hasn't had a great record in recent years even the even the year a couple of years ago when he won things at United they were all sort of consolation trophies um, he hasn't looked like a top class manager for a while he's always been sort of led by nastiness and causing disruption with his, within his own club. But that seems to be, firstly, getting worse and worse, and secondly, not balanced out by the trophy wins. He's never been interested in playing good football, and he's never been interested in bringing through youth. The youth thing in particular is something that Leon and Monaco have always been renowned for. Um, 
the good footballer as well. I mean, again, some Genesio haters may, may disagree with that, but generally Leon do try to play good, entertaining, attacking football. And yes, he's a big name. Uh, you know, I saw someone in Lecky, there was an article kind of talking about him. This, it would be like the Neymar effect if, if he joined League Out. I just, I don't think it will. I think there'll, there'll be a little bit more attention, but I just, I think, even you know, even when he was being hugely successful, the the, you know, the kind of thing of accusing Reading and the St John's Ambulance of trying to kill his players or the completely <laughs> false claims that that Rijkaard and the referee were in cahoots to fix matches. That was even when he was winning things. I still think he was. I know it's a strong word. I know I'll get lots of stick for it, but I think it's a cancer in the game of football. But now there isn't even the the positives for his teams of, of winning trophies. I think he's all about nastiness, and I would I would be gutted if he came to Liga. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I can't really disagree with any of that. To be fair, but then you would expect me to say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's an interest, interesting sort of 10, 10, 15 days in, in France coming up in the domestic scene. So we will keep across that. Um, and, of course, uh, we could see PSG claim the title in the next, is it two or three games? I think they can officially claim the title. So that'll be fun uh, for everyone to um, uh, bring out the old farmer's lines again. Uh, that'll be great fun. So we look forward to that. Um before we do wrap up this evening, we do have a, we had a question that we've kind of put off, haven't we, though, until this Yeah, week. because this is more of a conceptual question. It's from Pierre Fager in Sweden, who uh, is very sweet about us, saying uh, that it's difficult for him living in a country where news analysis from Liga are rare to find. So his question is, why in Liga? Is there never more than one team per city? And he uh, mentions particularly Paris, where we do have, you know, Red Star and, and Paris FC in, in lower divisions. But why aren't there more teams from the same city in Liga? And it's kind of interesting because I've wondered about this in the past because the only cities I can think of where you've had teams in the same, in the top division or in the same division even, have been um, from Corsica. Because you've had AC Ajaccio and Gazlec Ajaccio, neither of whom ever hit heights, but did both get up to Ligue 1. And also uh, SC Bastiaens before their fall, and CA Bastia, who I think were in Ligue 2 together recently. But we don't. When we talk about derbies in France, we talk about, the South Coast Derby, which could be, um, you know, uh, Nice Monaco or Marseille Montpellier or Montpellier Toulouse, or the Breton Derbies, of course, which are very highly fought, uh, Nantes and Lorient and and Gangamp and Rennes, and also obviously uh, Lyon and Saint Etienne, which are about fifty kilometres apart, I think, which is basically the closest highest ranked derby there is which is really quite feisty but why aren't there in like london's got so many top flight teams in the league together why isn't paris like that why aren't the other 
big cities in France like that? It's an interesting question, I think. Um, I just well, wanted to know what... Other... London has two oh, top-class teams in the Premier League and uh, <coughs> others. Uh, yeah, it is an interesting one. What, what's your take on it, Jezza? What, what, what do you see? There are two top-class teams. Um, well, actually, no, there's one top class uh, and one that was created. And this could be part of the reason why uh, I was just thinking it's an issue. Um, no, but I mean, come on, you've got um, in, even in the past, you've got Newcastle Sunderland, you've got Liverpool Everton, you got City Villa, you got the the London clubs. It's we don't seem to have that in France. It seems to be much more distributed. Hmm. Is, and even, is there even a reason across, for that? Even if you look across Europe, I suppose, you've got the Madrid derby, you've got mm-hmm. the, the Milan derby, um, you've got the... Uh, you know, Espanyol, Barcelona. Yeah. Thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, what, what do you think, Jazz? What's your thought process on that one? Um, I can only entirely speculate and, and guess as to the reasons. Um, I'd say that possibly one of them is that the, the French League is, is relatively young. Um, I know that doesn't hold water against the, the German League, but um, you know, compared to uh, obviously the English League, for example, we've been going since the, the 19th century, for example, um, the French League is, is has not been going, or certainly not been going strong for anywhere near as long. Um, I think that possibly one of the main factors is that football simply isn't as big in, in mm. France as it is in England. For example, uh, I'm using England as an example. I find it harder to, to, to talk about the other leagues. Um, I th- possibly kind of connected with both those reasons. Um, sort of at the at the because. Uh, football was already becoming big in England in the 19th century. That was also at the time when, I guess, the, with sort of the, the later period of the Industrial Re- Revolution and, and sort of the, the growing importance of leisure activities um, and also the, the tradition of lots of football teams coming from things like railway workers and, and that kind of thing, maybe just because of that, opportunities came about more in England to, to create football teams. And also, I mean, it's not an answer, it's more maybe a, a sort of consequence rather than a, a, re, a reason in itself. But um, if you look at the history of, of, of a few French teams, they actually have come about from the mergers of other teams. I think yeah. Lille did, I think Montpellier did, for example. Yeah. So it could be that in the past it has, they have tried to have more than one and for, for whatever reason, maybe lack of numbers, lack of money coming in, or teams thinking, you know, our best chances of success are to merge, I don't know. In terms of Paris, there obviously there are a couple of other teams, um, Paris, the Red Star, Crete, I guess, as well, who are sort of always sort of on the fringes, but, but not quite breaking through. Um, there's There's been, in the 80s, there was, was Mantra Racing, sort of, shone very brightly for a year or two and, and then collapsed. So uh, I'm not really giving any definitive reasons because I don't know, but I'm just suggesting possible factors. Because mm. no, I think but in the Bundesliga as well, I think there aren't that many 
in a sense, cities with multiple clubs at the same level. And it's maybe, in a sense, England, Spain, as you say, with Madrid and Barcelona and possibly in Italy as well. Maybe those are the outliers because, as as Jess said, we we're never a lot of times when we were researching clubs uh, for the Coupe de France previews, it was like, well, this club was formed of the merger of these three clubs in the 1950s. Um, it does seem that um, clubs have in France have come together to continue. Um, yeah. And like we, like I said, with with Lille, um, Montpellier went through a couple of different iterations. Um, so it it is an odd one, and I think obviously the same city derbies that you get in the Premier League and you get in La Liga and you get in Serie A are amazing events. Mm. Uh, do we miss that in Liga? No, we've got we've got the Olympico, we've got the Classico, you've mm. got the whole Lyon Saint Etienne fight going on for for so many years with you know flares going off and f- fines being um, imposed and uh, was it Remy Garb wearing those um, uh, trainers with bad goans written on the side when the OL fans weren't allowed to travel to Saint-Étienne. I think if you don't have a same city derby, but you've got other derbies, you you make more of those. So, you know, it's, it's just as interesting. It's a bit like, who is it? Crystal Palace and whoever, who've got the right. A whatever Everyone's like, like, that's really, really random. But it's like, well, that's still a derby. That's still massively intense. And, you know, fair enough. Yeah. I think uh, there's stuff to find from everywhere. So it's difficult to say why it hasn't developed that way in France. Well, so I don't know about others, but obviously. The, the very standard example is Rangers Celtic, where there's very mm. obvious reasons why there's yeah. two mm. teams. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I think I've read Milan. I'm not sure there's anything like that. I think, from what I've heard, it's more or less arbitrary which one you support. Everton, Liverpool. I've read something to say it's arbitrary. Some others to say that there is there is a, a slight religious aspect to that mm. one as well. Um, so, you know, certainly not an answer for all of them. Rome. Roma and Lazio, there's certainly sort of right-wing and left-wing issues there as well. So there, there might be religious and political aspects to, to the reason why other places split up in the past. Um, possibly that's something that also hasn't and that possibly been an issue. Be why, for example, St. Pauli in Hamburg, which is one of the big, um, big derby, big same city derbies in the Bundesliga, is that way because some probably have got their kind of left wing thing and and Pabuk maybe haven't. Um but yeah it's I think it's all just everything is within the context of the league mm. you're looking at and the cities you're looking at and you know I think I always think it's brilliant that 
you know, when everybody's doing their pre-season tours, all of the uh, Breton teams basically have a little mini league where they all play each other as well. Because yeah. they're all just close to each other. And it is that those are some of the most fiercely contested derbies. But also they are, in a sense, well, we're Breton and the rest of you can fuck off. So there is a kind of collective as well as a, a competitiveness, which I think you see maybe in the Liverpool-Everton thing that, you know, when it comes to I'm talking about Hillsborough and certain other things that they stand together, but then when it's on the pitch, they fight to the death. So it's it's a very interesting kind of mix of, um, you know, enemy's enemy is my friend and and things like that, which which goes on. So the, th- the thing is as well, the game is still evolving, isn't it? Like we get new rivalries, and you know, for example, I don't think RB Leipzig would have thought they'd have been. Uh, had have rivalries when they became a club, or I think Hoffenheim are now accepted <laughs> as a standard German club when they were basically built out of a packet. Um, so yeah, I mean the, the modern world. Um, I think MLS is another big one, isn't it? You have like rivalries mm. in MLS, but they're thousands of miles apart. It's, it's quite bizarre. Um, I think sometimes people almost create derbies out of derbies that don't really exist in a way. But but that's um, the fun thing. Too. That's kind of like. The classic and the Olympic. Yeah, rivalry, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's just you need a big game to get get on the TV, get the numbers. Yeah, it's a good question though, and we we thank you for that, and and gl- we're glad that we can provide you with the the missing uh, bits and bobs that you may not get on Swedish TV. Um, uh, you, <laughs> the game with Norway the other night was sensational, by the way. Um, I've watched that game, three three draw, absolutely bonkers. Wasn't there a Switzerland three Yes, Switzerland were three 0 up against Denmark and yeah. threw it away and drew and three all. Didn't somebody go off at three 0 up? Shaka. Shaka, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I've had to listen to Arsenal fans tell me he's world class all week, and I still don't necessarily agree. But God love him. Um, but, but yes, uh, and yeah, the Sweden game, uh, Norway were 2 0 up. Sweden were 3 2 up in stoppage time. They got they got the third goal in stoppage time and then conceded in stoppage time to make it 3 all. So <laughs> bonkers. Uh, international football occasionally can be fun. Um, outside of World Cups and Euros, I mean. But uh, yes. Um, there it is but thank you very very much for the question and uh as i say um hopefully we can we can uh provide the uh the, the blanks where they need filling in so thank you very much um i think that's probably where yeah. we will leave this week i don't think there's anything else we haven't covered no and um unfortunately we will not be here next week because i am away Indeed. Uh, I will be going to see Hertha Berlin versus Fortuna Dusseldorf at the Olympiastadion. Good times. I am very much looking forward to, but we'll probably miss all French games ever. So we'll be back in two weeks to round up basically everything that's happened <laughs> since. Then. We'll try and cram it all in. We'll, we'll of course, yes. talk about the uh, Coupe de la Ligue final and um, who are semi finals, which are coming up. Uh, in the first week yeah. of April as well. We will have previews on the site, I am promised. Uh, for those, uh, that's uh, Lyon, Rennes and PSG Nantes in the semi-finals on the 2nd and 3rd of April. So we'll be probably setting up a PSG-RL final there. Yeah. 
we'll have uh, but we'll, we'll see what uh, Connor and Tariq come up with good stuff good stuff okay well um, as I say we'll be back in, in two two weeks roughly if you have got any questions in the meantime send them across we'll do our best to get them answered uh, but for now it uh, just remains for me to thank my two guests this evening so thank you very much Jez thank you and thank you Phil thank you and as I say, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, in the meantime, as always, enjoy your French football. And thanks for listening.